listening to the Forest School Podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherland. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Hello. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> hello. 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 Um, today we are talking to Vicky. Now, Vicky, can you tell us the name of your Forest School uh, business so you pronounce it in the right way? I, I would... Um, the Forest School, School business itself is called, uh, I'm going to say it in Catalan, Escola de Bosque del Montseny. Beautiful. <laughs> but with the team, we as well do trainings, and that's called Pas d'Infant. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and what does that mean in English? Uh, the first one is a very easy one. It's called Forest School of El Montseny. El Montseny is a mountain range. Oh. Uh, like about an hour from Barcelona. So it's just called the Forest School of the Mountain. And the other one, it means a child step. Ah, okay. Past in fun, it means child step. Got you. Excellent. Um, and Vicky, you got in touch uh, with us, I think, yeah. first of all. Um, so have you listened to the podcast for a while or how did I've, you find it? Like, it really intrigues me that people like around the world somehow stumble across it and... Um, and listen, which is great. Um, I did because um, we, we don't have a TV at home, so we're very much radio ad- addict. Mm-hmm. And um, so we read a lot or we listen to things, whether audiobooks or whatever. And then I discovered podcasts, which are great. So, but I'm more and more less excited about some radio programs. They always about the same themes, they're quite boring. So I thought, okay, I have to change that. So I listen to podcasts while I'm doing the dishes, while I'm, I don't know, hanging the clothes up, things like that. Or in, even in the car, instead of getting the radio and getting something I'm not interested, I put podcasts. And that's how I found you. Uh-huh. For interesting po- podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> and we really wanted to speak to you because um, we're just really interested in how Forest School uh, sort of happens outside of the UK and to hear people, different people's experiences. Um, so thank you for joining us. It's great. Um, can you tell us a bit about like your journey into like the outdoors world? How did you start? Um, how I started, I suppose, when I was a little girl, I, I was brought up until I was 11 in Barcelona. <laughs> but I was in a group of scouts and I remember it was like, oh, my God. And they were very, very like pro going into nature nearly every weekend and outings and and they were a bit radical in certain things. Now that I look back, I think, oh, at the time it was great for me. But now as a person that leads session with children, oh, we did things I don't think we would do them to nowadays. Oh, really? Like what? <laughs> then we leave a group of children. We were about between nine and 10, 11. And they would leave us somewhere and they would give us a map and say, find us. And they would be maybe, I don't know, kilometers away from us. And we would be yeah. left there with a map and find your way around the mountain. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, we're quite young. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. They did things like that, or they leave us for two days in a spot and with a little bit of food. And then I said, okay, we'll come and pick you up in so many days. And you know, oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't think we would do that now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. At the time we did. So that was how I started. And then, you know, life took me in loads of different directions. Yeah. And then when I became a mom, I had already been leading child-led education schools and projects. And then I thought, yeah, that's great, that's great, but I just want to be outside with my girl. I just want to be outside with my girl. And 
all of a sudden we we were leading a moms and dads group, like you know, family group oh, with cool. little children, and we started just taking them out all of the time. And that's how the forester school started, just by saying, I want to be out. So parents, if you want to be with me, you'll have to be outside. And that's how we started. That's about 10 years ago. Wow. Amazing. How's that received uh, sort of in the sort of general population? Is that like a really weird thing to do? Or is that kind of par for the course? You know, everybody's outside anyway. No. Funny enough, we live in a country that everybody should be outside all the time. And it's not a normal thing or an, an, a usual thing. It is normal on your, on your weekend um, activities yet, but not as a school thing. So at the beginning, parents were a bit like, oh, and every time it rained, oh, are we cancelling? No, we're not cancelling. And it was a bit weird, but at the same time, it was received with a lot of excitement. So all the families thought, and all of a sudden, we had like a very long list and we couldn't get everybody. And when we finished at the year of three, they went, no, we don't want to finish. Okay, we're going to stand it till six. Oh, we're going to stand it till nine. We're going uh-huh. to standing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get that feeling too. It's like, you know, there's quite a lot of kind of outdoorsy stuff for toddlers. And then it's just sort of like, right, that's finished now. Into school you go, that's it. Um, and we have quite a, a few families kind of going, oh, it's sort of sad that, you know, if we go down that route, which most people do, then the kids just don't get that time in the forest anymore. Um, so it's kind of finding ways to still connect with those families is, is quite tricky. Um, so, and, it, and was that called forest school? at that time when you're kind of running that kind of parent and child group or did it have a different name or is it just like is that a term that's accepted in Spain and no it was a different term uh well, a different name because I didn't know uh I have because I lived in England between England and the States and France for about 15 years or okay. not and I have heard about it but I didn't know what I was doing so we just called it Blue Sky Project mm. <laughs> That was the name of the of the project, and but slowly, I thought uh, that's something, and I'm sure other people is doing that. I'm not the most original person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then we discovered Forester School, and then we called it. But it did evolve from one day a week to two days a week to for about four years. We had Monday to Fridays children from the age of three till the age of nine every day. So it was the only regular wow. school wow. we had for about four years. And because it was a private school, it's not only the pedagogical side you have to lead with, you have to lead all the other side. And at one point I thought, right, um, no, <laughs> it's too much weight for me and for my colleague. Mm-hmm. So and we were homeschooling at the same time. So we thought, okay, we're going to homeschool and just do like you do more in English, like in England, like just um, some sessions. So we have some morning sessions for little ones, all the ones in the afternoon. So we did it a bit more relaxed. Because yeah. it was a, a lot of pressure. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've looked very briefly into things like that and going, oh, wouldn't it be great to just have like an outdoor school? And then once you're kind of going, right, we're going down that road, um, registering as a school and doing all of that. Yeah, the legal side of it, the admin side of it is just massive, isn't it? And that's when you need like, a, you know, a proper team just to pay somebody to do the admin and all of that kind of stuff. It's a different thing, isn't it? 
yeah. I always feel uh, like you see some schools where they have like a, you know, about us, a history thing. And you can see where someone really well-meaning has sort of painted themselves into a corner where they go, well, I thought schools weren't really up to it. So I set up my own toddler group. And, and then, like you say, the kids got a bit older. So we set up this thing that went to 12 year olds. And then and then because we had to register, we had to start doing uh, lessons. And then because there was more kids, we needed a building. And because and before you know it, they've kind of they've made their own school and they've kind of completely gone into um, what they didn't want to be. Find out about CPD courses at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Exactly. And for us in Spain, anything outside um, conventional schools or official schools um, after the age of six is not legal. So we had all this side as well that you have to kind of work and families have to pay for it. And most families that want to go down the route of forestry school, they're not the wealthiest ones. Mm. <laughs> there was always this balance on how much can you charge, but I know the families we have. And, and yeah, it was quite straining as a, yeah. Yeah. A lot of work in, in our brain when we wanted to be in our body and outside. And so we thought, right, let's yeah. put it smaller again. And, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'd heard that actually about um, home educating not being legal in Spain. So are, are there many people who are kind of doing it under the radar and sort of hoping to not get caught or are there ways to do it and it's okay? It is not illegal. It is not illegal. Okay. Just not, um, there is like a gap in the law. Yeah. Okay. It says all children have the right to be educated. Yeah. It doesn't say where. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what the gap is and you as a family you do your 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 best because when you decide this is not to overlook your children is not to ignore them at the other end when you want to do that is because you want to be really there so the families I met that they had to go through some sort of um uh, checking yeah Finally, the people that checked them thought, well, your children are really well looked after after all. Yeah. So they had been left. But it's not illegal. It's just not. It's there, yeah, like a blank uh, space where you can play with it. But yeah. yet you don't put a label or walk around the street saying it either. So mm -hmm. you just calmly just go around. You do what you need to do, not minding anyone, you know, not bothering anybody and not being too loud. And then you're fine. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of similar to here in a way. Same thing. The law says that you have to educate your children. You can do that at home kind of however you like. But the government every so often say, oh, we're just going to do a little research into what actually is going on. Maybe we should be regulating it more, assessing these children to check they're OK. And um, yeah, I kind of get it in terms of safeguarding and making sure that the children, as you say, are not being ignored or made mm -hmm. to work out in the fields or something, you know. Um, but yeah, those who are home educating, some, you know, are frequently feeling threatened or worried that their way of life is going to be changed through government um it's a big sort of push regulation. at the moment i don't know Gemma, if you've seen in um plymouth with yes the plymouth council have so the the, the national law here um vicky says you know the children just need to be educated um again similarly it's very broad it just says an, an appropriate education and um nobody's really supposed to ask any more than that but one of the um city councils um not too far from us has decided that they now want that to include um a curriculum that they can see 
and and uh, workbooks that someone can come and assess and just a whole host of stuff that obviously the home ed community in that place have really gone whoa whoa this doesn't this doesn't fit um how we want to do it you know um for a long time it's just been do you have a philosophy on education and if you can as a parent go yes this is what we kind of believe in then they go okay we'll leave you to it then um so this council trying to come in with a bit more let's say strict strictness maybe authority and it's um it's definitely getting some some backs up um i was going to ask have any of your children that went to this setting um gone from your setting into a school and have you had any feedback about how that transition worked whether they you know were really successful or struggled in certain ways no the the opposite <laughs> teachers when any any child that was with us has gone to school or i know other projects that have done teachers are very excited about this kids they say wow they really listen they very they very um well managed of what you would understand like you know they ask things nicely they said i can see that they have had some very lovely time on the early childhood because they are positioned in a certain way. And sometimes on the first semesters, maybe they struggle with certain subjects. Um, I, I can tell you the case of a very close friend of mine. It wasn't forester school, but it was child education in a project and they were mainly outside. And she said on the first, she was 14. So she was going to college, is that right? Thing in English. Like high school it would be here, I think. High school, Hopefully. high school, that's it. So she was about 14 when she decided so the first semester, she was really out, really struggling. The teacher said, oh, she's such a lovely, she's always listening. I'm so excited. If half of the class was like her, I would be so excited, but she struggles. Second semester, she was already on the level of the next one. Third semester, she was the first in most of the subjects and the teacher was like, how did she do that? How, you know, from, not, from like zero in most subjects, she was like, and the mom said, I think it's because she's very excited and, and interested in something that she's never had before. So she's, she puts her time in it and she's really listening. Mm. So it might change after two or three years. Who knows? Yeah. That's uh, how it went. That was her route. Yeah. 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 Um, just changing the subject slightly. I was really um, interested to, can you describe the landscape of where you run most of your sessions? So is, is it near the mountains, you said? is by the mountains and we live by the national park. Well, I live inside the national park <laughs> and the sessions run, we have a, a radius of about 20 minutes, half an hour. And the parents know that's how much they will have to drive. Mm -hmm. uh, depends where we go. Some families can walk or cycle, depends where we go. So we move around and the scenery mainly would be oak mm -hmm. and cork oak. Mm -hmm. You don't have many and holm oaks. Yeah. That's most of the trees we have. Uh, that's for the mountain. But then when you go down into the plain, the valley, we've got more trees to do with river, river trees, yeah? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we go up to the top. We're not the top and nearer where we have all the chestnuts and mm -hmm. um, I don't know how this other one you call it in English. It's fatch in Catalan. I don't know mm -hmm. the, the name, but it's more... So it's a change. So they see different um, mm. vegetations from yeah. fields, right, like the valley to the, the river, and then all up the side of the mountain and then higher. The vegetation changes a lot mm -hmm. um, as, we, as we move in, in, our, in our area. And we always go to different areas with nomads. We don't have I was going to say, are you, are you moving mm. all the time through the sessions or do you kind of go somewhere and you stay 
do you sort of set up a base for the day or is it everything's on your back and you're moving the whole time? It depends on the sessions. We do what we call camp day and those days we would go to a spot. Sometimes you have to walk 10 minutes and then we would settle there for the five hour session. But sometimes we're walking, we're doing a route. So the parents leave the children somewhere and we do a route to somewhere else where they will meet them later. It, it all depends on the time of the year. If it's winter, for example, if we go to a fireplace, to, to an area where we can do fire, because this is a national park, mm. nothing like England, everything, even in winter can be quite dry. So you can only do fires in specific places, in uh, private land owners, and they have to give you the permission, and near a place where there is a water source. Yeah, so we have, yeah. so if we're gonna do fire in the winter, then we have a camp. But sometimes in the winter, we say we want to experience being outside without a fire as well in the winter. It's not compulsory. Mm. And on those days, we do walking uh, because then, you know, you can stop for lunch and for other activities. But the rest of the day, we're walking. So you keep as well a bit warm. Though mm. It's not cold here. Yeah. <laughs> I might try yeah. that one next time I can't get the fire to light and I'll just go well, it's intentional, guys. It's so that we can experience a day without a fire and then just just bluff it that way <laughs> <laughs> we do that quite a few times as well because like there is a castle nearby and you have to walk about half an hour to get there so we have certain points which are nice and the walk has meaning to them as well wow lovely and what kind of so you've mentioned trees like chestnuts and oak and that kind of uh, really helps me to imagine what it's like to be outside there what about um plants like are there, are there plants that grow um that you regularly forage or you use in your sessions mm -hmm. there, there, there will be all these mediterranean herbs like thyme rosemary oh. uh, lavender all these type of uh, plants that then you can dry as well so we get them sometimes uh, and we use them straight, like in a soup or in a, um, or in a hot drink. But sometimes we dry them and they dry them and they have them through the whole year. And we use it at different times. Or with the lavender, for example, we make little sacks and they can put the lavender on the inside and they can put it with their clothes. Or... So there is herbs that we use. But they wouldn't, like for example, you've got wild garlic. Mm. Yeah, nearly time. Nearly time for wild garlic here. Can't wait. Our plants are very dry compared to yours. Uh-huh. Yeah. So no nettles and things like that? We do have nettles. Do? We have fennel. Nettles, oh, nice. fennel, other things that you may have there. We've got... Hmm, try to think of other things. I, I'm trying to think of things I know the name in English and my language. <laughs> Can come across. But we get loads of blackberries, for example. Yep. We get as well... Well, chestnut time, we get chestnut. We get some kind of cherries, which I don't think you mm. have in England, which are hairy. Oh, okay. Mm. And you can eat only a few because they have a, an alcoholic bitten in them, so you have oh. to cook them. To make wow. Great. Them. <laughs> 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 you have to be careful. If they're eating a lot, you have to say, stop, stop, because if not, they go a bit... <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. What are they called in uh, Catalan? And I know my, my partner, who, who is the, the English one, look... Yeah. It because they don't in Catalan they call I will I would translate the name shepherd's cherries shepherd's, shepherd's cherries. cherries yeah because they are up in the mountains and that's what the shepherds used to eat yeah well you would wouldn't you you'd just be a bit bored with the sheep on the mountain get a bit buzzed <laughs> 
amazing what's the general kind of uh, approach to foraging like so we have some children who come to our sessions and um in the uk foraging is kind of it's become quite a um like leisure pursuit of it's not really done for many people for like sustenance it's just sort of like a hobby and so we get some children who are petrified if they see any mushrooms or they're not really sure you know some of them you go well that's a bramble and uh, we go well that'll eventually grow blackberries and it's like their their mind is just blown that blackberries come in you know that they grow on a plant um are your kind of groups pretty au fait with foraging or is it new to them they they're okay because we live in a rural area so most children here know a bit already. Like I have not much idea of mushrooms and we've got loads of mushrooms here. And some children know more than me about wow. mushrooms, for example. Mm. So they are fine, but on the first ages, we have a lot of rules because if not, they just go like, oh, I found whatever, and Georgia, they start getting it. And we go, let's do it differently. But sometimes we do sessions for groups coming from Barcelona or from mm. other towns. And those ones, yes. When you talk about foreign, it's like, but maybe an insect is a weed on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, they, the, the regular ones, they find with foraging and the rules, they get it really quickly because they, they live here. So they know if they just, you know, get everything all the time out of their roots, there's not going to be more time anymore next year. Mm-hmm. But the people coming from children coming from outside we have to encourage them to forage mm. and then when they become ah, so that can be eaten and then they go really a bit too too fast with it and, and a bit aggressively so we have to calm them down as well mm. but the ones from the area would get a lot of it but more with conscious that they will use it they will use it because their parents mm. use it yeah Support the podcast today by becoming a Patreon member at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Yeah, we've got a weird relationship with uh, mushrooms in the UK. It's really like we're really alienated from mushrooms. And I think, I don't know, I'm generalising, but um, many people I know from different places in Europe still have a really strong connection to mushrooms and it'll be a regular thing even if you're not a particularly outdoorsy person you will still you know in the autumn time go and pick some mushrooms and cook them um in lots of different places i've spoken to, um to people yeah from romania and mm. and poland and yeah and spain and france but here it's just terror just most people are just like well no i would never touch those things and you know and we do because of the families we work with like you, you know we have children whose whose parents are very into it and know a lot and we have had um we've got a six-year-old at the moment who just knows so much about mushrooms and she's taught us quite a lot of stuff uh, but on the whole people are just scared you know and it is yeah Here, very much in the cuisine so if you go to most restaurants around this area that loads of people come in the weekend because they have like like traditional dishes loads of mushrooms everybody gets them and everybody goes them and gets them and there is as well at the weekends there is people here teaching people from abroad from outside not from abroad from outside how to pick them where to go and pick which one so it is a it is a tradition Mm. here mushrooms are very very welcome and appreciated i think it is slightly changing we have a similar um thing it sounds like to you saying that the people that come from barcelona we have um the new forest in the south of the uk and they've had to put a um like a ban on mushroom foraging because 
everybody was getting uh, basically coming down on a coach from London, very uh, rich people, you know, oh, I'll go for a weekend, I'll pick whatever. And so the people who live locally would take them to the best spots, they would pick everything. And they were just depleting this, you know, this national forest with mm. kind of like a weekend hobby of, yeah, we'll take it back and put it in our dishes and, and do whatever. And um, you, you do need, I think it's, that's sort of one of those universal truths, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you are, sustainability of picking things and foraging has got to be, you know, pretty high up there on our priorities with kids or with adults. Exactly. Yeah. I think here as well, there is lots of rules in this national park, in which areas you can pick and in which areas you can't and things like that. I suppose for the same reason, at some point there was lots of people coming and then they had to, not only with mushrooms as well, with chestnuts and with other things, there's areas where you can't go and pick anything and other yeah. areas which you're allowed. Yeah. What about animals in the places where you're working? What kind of wildlife are you seeing, both big and small? Big, you can, you, we have wild boars. Wow. Wild boars, quite a few. And we, uh, now it's the time, like just before spring and in the autumn, it's time where you can track them and follow. And then wow. we, you, I don't know if you do that, we get, um, how you call it in English, chalk. And then we put it inside the, the truck and then you bring it out and you yes. have yes. Yes. Yeah. Paris. Yeah. So we've got these, we've got a, a small type of deer, um, which is called Cavirol, is a small a type. Then we have um, big, like, I'm trying to think the names in English, mm -hmm. Opsis, mm -hmm. uh, Badgers, all this type of, um, and as well little ones, mice, rats and all these. Yeah. Then we don't have... Um, I, how you call it, this bird that you have in English, which people goes and hunt, which is not very nice. Pheasants. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's about most big animals that we have here. Do you have any big birds of prey, things like hawks, and uh, particularly in mountainous regions, they're normally quite common? Yeah, big birds of prey, and some of them we can see them clearly. We have the golden eagle as well. Wow. They're rare, but we can see it sometimes, and we have... Um, buzzards and yeah we have different we have eagles different types of eagles as well mm. yeah we have big birds yeah and lots of um how you call them owls different types of owls as well yeah and then we find sometimes the rests that they've left the, uh, the night you know mm -hmm. the things they yeah they take out of their mouth i don't know the pellet know. pellets okay. yes yeah do you have any um uh sort of risks to do with flora and fauna that are different in the uk not very different than you. We will have similar because the only snake which is dangerous will be the adder, like yeah. you have. Mm. We know springtime is dangerous, so we have a lot of different rules according to that. We don't have any dangerous spider. We don't have any fruit that can get you drunk. That's the big one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have it in England because everybody will be drunk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not we sure whether to be offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> in this way <laughs> uh, we've got some dangerous mushrooms uh, yes yeah. not very yeah not very big and then maybe the nettle if it touches you might be yeah bad. no yeah. we don't have very many dangerous things well i think you've got them as well these big bees now these asiatic bees oh, oh uh, yeah. yeah or hornets bees or hornets maybe hornets i don't know yeah yeah big 
yeah people mm. are worried about them here i haven't seen any myself it tends to be the first thing that somebody says when they see a hornet they're like oh no it's an evil killer hornet and you're like no that's just a normal hornet they are huge and scary but you know they're not they are huge i know that when if they bite a child they would get like a big uh long quite a big and it will hurt but it won't kill them so we're not very worried about them. i always think it's the noise of a hornet they sound so b is quite you know quite a nice buzzing sound when a hornet comes past it sounds like an air force carrier just the yeah it's just very uh i was going to ask do you have any um so when we kind of think about flora and fauna i guess one of the things that often comes up is then like folk tales and like traditional stories do you have like a um like cultural stories from your either you know either from the region or the country or things that you bring into your sessions yeah we do we we do um welcome some of the traditions but not all of them but when we bring any traditions usually we put them in the co so if we get a tradition is because it has a context of nature we won't get any tradition that is just sprung out of i don't know what black friday so we do bring into traditions or celebrations or rituals but always really attached to to cycles and nature and that they will have a meaning for the session and for the children and what we live together what we experience together so we do bring things um into the into the sessions but always link to yeah. to what we're living in the sessions with these cycles and nature yeah the rest we they can celebrate it at home or whatever they go got you can you give us an example of something that you celebrate oh in that way there is one that we celebrate is only in catalonia not in the rest of spain which is called altio uh tio it means uh log but like a, a piece of log that you've already cut and that was born hundreds of years ago and it, it was a pagan tradition yeah so uh, sometime during December, you go and find a piece of log, which you will bring into the house or into somewhere. Yes, we don't have a somewhere in the forest school. <laughs> so it was only there with the materials. <laughs> and then this piece of log, you will cover it with a black, you will look after it. So you will cover it, you will give it food, and it will eat the food. Yeah, which is always through playing that it eats it, yes. And when it becomes the day, um, the 21st you would hit it really hard because you're trying to awaken it saying lock 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 light is changing we started to have more light from today and soon the spring will come nature wake up so it's like you've been looking after nature when it was the time when it's like sleeping and more restful and then on the 21st of december when light comes back again you wake it up so that it knows that it will start working towards uh, more flowers and more leaves. And it is funny that the children give them peels of tomato and of oranges and all sorts to this log, and they go back and it's no food there. Oh, he's eating it and things like that. That's a wow. I no. love that. I really love that. That um, that kind of reminds me of a couple of things here, which may also be common to Spain. I don't know, but um, it reminds me of uh, an old tradition of um, it's called crying the neck. So at harvest time, when the community would go out and cut all the crops, the wheat and the barley, uh, then when the last bit of barley was standing, 
they would all gather around and one person would hold the barley and cut it and they would all shout and celebrate and they believed that again it must be very old because it's from it sounds very pagan so they would believe that the spirit of the corn or the, the harvest would be in that last crop that they were cutting and then they would tie that into a special knot or a corn dolly and bring it inside and have a great big feast lots of cider lots of dancing um, it would sit at the table and have the food and then it would be kept inside traditionally hung above the fireplace where it was nice and warm and be kept in over the winter and then after Christmas on plough Monday they would take it and plough it back into the soil on and so it was like putting the spirit back into the ground to be ploughed in so that it would grow again um which I really love that tradition but it's just completely died but um we were redoing our house and I found a corn dolly it fell out of the roof so I found this knot of straw so we've got one that used to be in our house which must be I don't know 18 1850 perhaps around that kind of time so they were obviously doing it for a long time um but yeah it doesn't happen anymore it also reminds me of like, you know, just like hitting the trees and um, letting the sap rise if you're going to like tap a birch tree or something. I think of like hitting it and telling it to wake up. That's so lovely. Our kids would love that, I think, Lewis. They loved making log dogs. Yeah. Do you do that? Making like a... Yes, yes, yes. They like to, to look after. And it's funny because it's like a hard thing, piece of log. Yeah. <laughs> Many children... They, because you do it in Catalonia, it's like a tradition, but usually when you hit it, it they say, I'm going to say something, I don't know how the English will listen to that, <laughs> that's how we do it. You hit it and sing a song, and because there's a blanket, it shits present. So you bring the blanket up and there's the presents. Instead of Father Christmas, you have it through the log. And in the forest school, we don't do that. He, hits, um, he shits the presents, but it, all the families do. And a lot of children love it so much, they take it to bed with them and they sleep oh. longer. <laughs> wow. Because it's not soft like a teddy bear. <laughs> it's hard. Is it, is it Spain, Spain that has um, somebody in the nativity doing a, doing a shit in the corner? Oh, Catalonia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have it. And you can, buy, you can buy like celebrities, can't you? You can buy presidents and um, like comic book characters. And it's just... It just goes in the corner of the nativity, in the in the. I was going to say in the manger. It's in the stable, isn't it? In the corner. On, on the corner or just outside. Um, yeah. And nowadays you can buy the modern ones, which are presidents and all these things. But before it just used to be like a shepherd to a farmer, so it, it was like a traditionally dressed. And yet it was always doing a poo at the side. <laughs> <laughs> it's always there, you know. Everybody's nativity. Wow. I was going to ask it to you because we kind of because one of the things that I think is interesting about sort of Spanish history and and you have to forgive me if I say Spanish and Catalonia are, they're different things they're the same thing they're different things but I'm okay. happy with everything okay. <laughs> um, was that obviously a lot of Spain so in in Britain we've were sort of pagan ruled and then Christian ruled but Spain had a, a long period of kind of Islamic rule and does any of that kind of carry through to now in traditions or not so, you know it's because it's been together so long that it's not so easy to know was it a, an Arabic was it a Christian was because it's a long time ago and they were in Spain but not for that long in history time I mean okay were about 100 years no I think maybe wrong now but I think it wasn't that long but surely the things like we know all the Spanish uh, words they start with A-L, 
they become from Arabic term, like mm -hmm. almohada, which means um, pillow, or whatever it starts with AL becomes from them. So I'm sure there is lots of traditions that were that, that went together with the Christian ones and then they carried on and things, but we don't really know which ones came from there or not anymore. It was mixed, like everything happens uh -huh. in history. But I'm sure there are things, I'm sure there are. But in Catalonia, they didn't nearly get here. They did, eh? Till like the, 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 the end, the, the south, East west corner of Catalonia. They were there for a longer time, but not for the rest. They never came as far as that. But um, yeah, surely okay. there are traditions because there are words. So the word state, I'm sure traditions would have state as well. Mm. I love the, um, I just want to I just go back to the taking the log to bed. I just think that's such an amazing opportunity for nature connection. You know, if, if every kid in Catalonia pretty much is like looking after a bit of a tree in their house. I think that's, yeah, it's so lovely. It is anyway. very nice. But sometimes you have to remind the parents why there's a log there. Because a lot of people has lost where it came from. So they just know everybody gets it. Everybody puts it in the house. Everybody gives it food. But sometimes it's only because it's going to be where the presents are going to arrive from. Mm. But they don't know mm. why they're doing it. So we, like even in the forest school, but as well, I do trainings and I do talks. And every Christmas I do a talk, which is called Do... Um, do the three kings exist? And in this talk, we, we kind of explain how to approach Christmas, not from a commercial point of view, but from a, from a point of view of why do we celebrate that? And what's important about that? And how to do it without lying? How can you mm -hmm. maintain the magic and the motivation and the excitement without lying to the children? Mm -hmm. And so parents say, but if we don't lie, there's not going to be magic. And we always say, magic doesn't come from lying. Magic comes from what you put in it, what the adults as well live through these traditions. So we have to remember, remind people as well, why do you have a piece of log in the middle of Barcelona? They go, I don't know, presents come from there, don't they? Said, well, let's think about it. And then when we think, they go, oh, that's beautiful. And we say, yeah. Mm. And then they, yeah. And then they're more in tune with the tradition, which is what's important really, no? Why yeah, yeah. Sometimes. Applications for forest school training are now open at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Yeah. Tell us more about these um, courses that you do for adults then. Do you do a lot of kind of parenting kind of training and courses? We do parenting and we do teachers training as well. We do whether, yeah, for families or for people that works with children, we do different types mainly to do with child-led education and with forestry school that's our speciality mm -hmm. um, but yeah I started years ago for example with there is something more um, uh, more that has more tradition or maybe you've heard it more in English you know the non-use of nappies yeah. Mm -hmm. the, yeah but in here nobody had heard it when I started 10 years ago so I started with that and then it just grew from that and into other things. But yeah, we do a lot of child education and forest school training for families or for teachers. So sometimes the schools would call us and we go and train the whole team in a yeah. particular subject. And how is it taken up by schools? I know here, um, you know, even before the, the pressures of having 
lockdowns and pandemics and stuff, our state education system was very much pushing towards academics, academics, anything outdoor learning is um, okay for little children. But once you get into, you know, once you get past sort of seven, it became, you know, that's, that's a bit of a waste of time. They need to be doing English and maths. Is, is that similar for you guys or is it kind of integrated? It's yeah, they they academics and and they're quite um, into results. What's the result? How are they? You know, and it's yeah. just like yeah, but what about the process they're going through? Yeah, but what's the result? And it's just oh my god. So yeah, teachers are not. I'm I'm gonna say it's not the teachers I think because the more and more I learn about teachers, they're very open and mm -hmm. they know the system needs a change because I'm I'm dealing with a lot of teachers. And I don't think it's the teachers. I think is the system and, and this curriculum. And I think these people on the offices that don't deal with children, that they give you all these curriculums. And I think, have, have they spent many, much time with the children? Do they go into classrooms and spend days and weeks with the children and understand what they need? Because, but, so I'm trying to change. And I think it's not the teachers. It's the, it's the, it's the system and the above, the people that looks after, the people that looks after children. So the ones looking after the teachers, I think they're the ones a bit disconnected because yeah. teachers are very, at least the ones I encounter, they're very open-minded and very open to, yes, let's change things. Yeah. And we're training now whole groups of teachers to go outside, which is a very rare thing in Spain. You've got out, outdoor learning, don't you, in England? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not here. And there's groups of teachers saying, we want to go outside, not because of the COVID, even before, Mm -hmm. And we go outside, they go, okay, now, how can we do it so it looks like we're doing math and, and, and <laughs> reading, how can we make it look like that? We go, okay, let's think. <laughs> yeah. they, have to, no, they have to respond to the system, but they're very happy with the children outside. They realise how good it is for them very quickly. Do schools have, um, is it normal for schools to have like a green space, an outdoor space, or do they have to go somewhere to, to do those things? The schools in the area where I live, yes, because we're in a national park, so they're very closely to the park, but we do as well schools in Barcelona or in other towns, other towns which are, and no, some, some schools, the outdoor space is incredible. I mean, I go there and I'm, I'm shocked. Who designed that school? Who's designed something for kids like this? Because sometimes imagine a building, which is um, all around um, a piece of, um, how you call it, tarmac, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And the children are inside there, but to, to see the sky, they have to put their head up because it's a story of maybe five floors all surrounded that space. So it's cement oh, wow. and all the sides are cement and they to see the blue sky they have to look up but if they just look straight everything they see is color gray what do prisons look like in spain like this it's <laughs> 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 like i described so i'm i'm impressed when i'm shocked when i go to school and i see this outside for children and they're there for six hours in the classroom or in that space i said who is the, who's the architect that designed that they didn't have a child in mind for sure I don't know what they had in mind, but not a child. So yeah, sometimes then they have to do a special outing to go to a green space. Yeah, and they do it. Some schools and some schools says we can't do it every week because it's difficult, you know, isn't it? Off. You know, it's a barrier once you try and organize a coach and then it's time off and then it's the extra cost. And then it's, you know, uh, I think we're very lucky here that 
most schools have got maybe not the best green space, but some green space that you can kind of use or a school field. Um, but increasingly, I think we're finding that rural schools um, here are having what little space they've got because, you know, what starts as a village with um, a few hundred houses in it soon becomes a few thousand and the school is kind of penned in. And so they build another classroom and then they build a bit more parking maybe, or they build, you know, another toilet block and then it just eats into the green space. And um, mm. you can just see it creeping, creeping towards that mm. kind of just, okay, it'll all be gray, um, which is a real shame. But I think that the schools here, they look more and more concerned about it and they ask for, we need a green space, we need an outside, we need trees. I remember once I'm talking about years ago, I went to school, I do a, a training and all the trees around, they had this foam, all the trees around and I thought, what's happening to the trees? And they said, no, it's so that the children won't hurt themselves. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> only wow. Only have, but they've all phoned it all the way up. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh my God. That's a That's few a... years ago, but not that many, maybe five years ago. I'm not talking about hundred, only, you know, and it's amazing. Wow. But now they're changing their minds. The school's like, okay, no, they need earth. They need sand. They need water. It is creeping into the schools, but we went the other way around and we'll see. Is it normal for, mm. for early years children to be muddy and messy and outdoors and playing in Spain? Um, it depends on the families. Okay. It depends on the families, definitely. Some families are very yes, and others are like, oh my God, it's got a stain on the trousers and let's go home now, you know? It depends on the families, really. But I think with the COVID, which it brought us lots of not so nice things, I think it brought some very good things. And people has become very conscious of how dear to us it is to go outside and mm -hmm. to take advantage of any moment they can. And things are changing. So some things, uh, I think it's good out of all of this. Mm. What's your um, kind of situation with COVID at the moment? Is everything closed or are you able to offer sessions at the moment? We are offering sessions because things outside are allowed, but we can have only... I think at the moment it's six kids per adult. So the ratios, the ratios are very low. And the outside things are, are open, but you have to use a mask. Uh, all the children under six, even if you are in outside space. Wow. That's very and interesting. You say, you, you say mm -hmm. one to six is very low. What would your normal ratio be for running sessions? For running sessions, uh, it will be up to seven. Okay. And if we have the, um, um, the, how you call it, somebody doing practice, you know, somebody who is not a leader, but is like there a trainee us. person. Yeah, mm -hmm. a trainee person who is not involved very much in the sessions, but is around, we may increase it to maybe eight because we know we have this other person with all the children. But I have a group which are zero to three, which mm -hmm. come with the mums and dads, these ones. I have a, um, a low ration of five per, per session. And sometimes I've taken it to six, but usually five children, even though their parents are there. But the way we run it is a more like a cooperative school in which the parents are active, but not active with the kids. They only there for um, emotional support in case yeah. the parents need it, if, if there is a conflict. So if there is a conflict between two, a two years and a half old, and I'm dealing with it, I always call the mom or the dad. Mm. Mm so and so come over so and so so they behind them so the emotional 
um, space energy, it feels um, pro protected or supported by the mom and dad, and then they can speak uh, mm -hmm. to the other child face to face, because usually we make sure that they don't look at me, because if not, they go, he's done this, he's... no, no, look at each other. Yeah. Can you, can you, you know, we make them talk. We don't want to be a triangle. We're just there yeah. in case they need help. Yeah. yeah, that's so important, isn't it? And I think that um, the way that we all kind of parent in the modern age, we sort of, uh, we're not doing that as much as we should be kind of in our desire to help and be there and make sure that our kids are looked after. We're kind of speaking for them and then denying them a lot of um, opportunities for learning and uh, sorting out conflict, definitely. Um, and that's something we talk a lot about in our in our work as well. well we were just talking uh yesterday weren't we when we were uh we were rearranging some stuff in our um so we have one site and we were rearranging some stuff in there and um having recently been to uh jenny archard's um site and she was showing us around and was going well here's how where we have the tea and coffee station um and it was about 20 or so would that be fair, Gemma? Sort of yep. meters away from where the mud kitchen was, where the children play. And there was even a little, uh, not barrier, but like a little, you know, some stuff between where the adults would get their drinks and where the children were playing. And uh, she was saying, yeah, you know, it's, there, it's done intentionally. I want the adults to sort of stay here and give the kids some space. I want the kids to go and um, play. And we were sort of looking at our site and trying to weigh up that, that um balance between you want the kids to have some space and you want there to be times where you can go okay they're just off on their own they're doing their own thing that's kind of in some ways how it's supposed to be but then you also want to encourage the parents to play with their kids sometimes you don't want them to kind of just stick with them and do nothing you know and trying to find that balance between helping someone play with their child but also going where they need some time on their own is a really difficult balance to to strike we, we do that through the structure of the, of the session. There is certain spaces that they know it's the parent interaction and certain spaces where it's not that. For example, the beginning of the day when the children just arrive and they're more attached, it's time that we spend together. We do our circle with songs, with saying hello. Then we might, for example, at this time of the year, start the fire. At these moments, we are all together and the things that might be the craft things on the side. So we're doing a lot of... Um, uh, how you call it in English, ah, um, like crocheting on eating, but with your mm. hands, eating with your hands, mm. you know, so we're doing a lot of this. But as the day goes by and the children start finding each other, that's when the parents start taking themselves and they're staying mm. or in the fire area, looking after, and as well, I give them jobs. For example, you're going to be the, the, um, the keeper of the fire, you too, okay? Uh, you too, you're going to be the one that, can you prepare me the kitchen? Because we'll be able to do now the, our bread or whatever. Can you, so I give them jobs so the children see, okay, mm -hmm. now moms and dads have jobs. And that's the moment that we've all arrived and we spend time together and then they go off to do their own thing. And then at the end of the day, we recover it again all together. Mm -hmm. So it's like that we did it to the structure and the children now have it very clear that there is a spaces in which they can go and find mom and dad if they need. But um, they, they, they know that it's going to be something that we, they do together. And I'm there looking after the group. Mm -hmm. So we, we've, we've done it through the structure of the day. And it, it works quite well for us. It's yeah. well. Yeah. So how, as, long, how long is that, is that session? With the little ones, it's four hours now. With the smaller, the smaller, zero to one and a half is three hours. 
Mm-hmm. And the ones uh, from one and a half to three is four hours. Wow. Four hours is quite a commitment. That's, 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 a, yeah. that's basically a day for a, for a small child. Yeah, it is. They, they are one and a half, two now, because we're getting to the end of the year. By the end of the year, most of them will be three, this group, the four-hour one. And the other one is three hours. And we just change the timing from three to four. When we see that at the end of the session, the children carry on playing and there's no way to take them home. We say, okay, they need to extend the session. Because the other one, the little one that do three hours, by the end of the session, most of them are falling asleep. Knackered. They nap time. So we yeah. know this group is still three hours. But then all of a sudden, they change and they, they, they're not napping. They're not falling asleep and they want to play more. Okay, we're going to extend the session. And that's what we do. So we is really that, is that kind of normal for... Um, other parent toddler groups you know so here we would have lots of parent toddler groups in um in a church hall or they might go and do like a gymnastics club or something and and kind of everything for under fives if it gets to two hours that's a very long session here so is four hours kind of normal for for your kind of no it's quite long no it's it is long and it's because we have lunch together. We, it's like we spend the morning. It's not like they're doing a session because there's nothing to do in particular. Like if you go to a movement session, a dance, they're leading you. Mm. But in here, it's just like being with my mum and some friends in the forest. And oh, yeah, there's work. Mm. It's just very, you know, it's like being with mum at home, but just in an outside space with other people. Mm. So we have all lunch together. We all have lunch at quarter past 12, for example. And yeah. We do four hours, but as I said, this group is not one and a half anymore. It will be from two. Some of them, one or two have are three already, so they early ones. By the end of by June, most of them will be three in this four hour hour mm. session. But there's nothing to do and everything they want. So yeah. So and is that one day a week with that group or more? One day a week. And yeah. then from when they from three, they start being they can choose between one day or two days a week. And then for the first, between, the, between three and four, we see if they need to still come with mom and dad or not. And by four, mm. they will stay with our mom and dad. Some mm. three years, and they say, no, I don't want my mom here. I say, okay, okay. And some say, I want it, okay. And then we do a whole adaptation. But if they three, the mom and dad, it's not involved in the session anymore. It's outside, sitting in a corner with a book or with sewing to sewing or just looking, not being active. Wow. I think mm. the, the mom and dad stay at the side, not being active on the session, mm. just for moral support, emotional support. And they can come in if anything happens to the child and it needs them. They can come in, of course. But if not, they're kind of on the outskirts of the session. That sounds mm. like such a natural transition. I think one of the things that, that lots of children struggle with here is that they would go, you know, up to four. They're with their almost exclusively with their parent or maybe at a preschool and then, you know, whenever, whenever it is the first day that they go to preschool or school, it's quite a sharp kind of like your parent is not even within eyesight anymore. You know, click, off you go. Um, and, and, you know, they, they do transitions here. You know, you might do half a day at first and then a whole day. But um, there just sounds like such a, like a natural tradition, like a progression, I guess, of kind of like, okay, they're here, but, you know, how much support do you need? And... I was daydreaming as you were talking about it. And I was going, oh, we, 
that'd be lovely just a whole day with parents and then I remembered British weather and I've remembered that sometimes after an hour and a half of a two-hour session I am desperate to go home because it's 30 mile an hour wind and raining and you know just that thing of like oh okay sometimes it's hard to be outside we have mums and dads saying I'm cold they come to me say I'm cold because they said well you can do some jumping and some running around there (laughs) yeah <laughs> some running bring more clothes next time bring your it is true off. yeah no, it is the adults can't. that get colder than the kids for sure because they we are more static um, if it's been very cold we have allowed them and it is a camp and we have allowed them sometimes to go for a quick walk and come back if the mm-hmm. child agrees with it yeah yeah but here as well and most the schools are punk you know, from three, you go in, that's it. It's our, uh, our way of looking into children that we do that. Most places, they go, mom, 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 and then oh, that, 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 and then straight into school, you don't see them anymore. And then we have another, another progression, they on the outskirts. And when we see that the child hasn't asked for any help on the, the whole session, we go, okay, we, need to, we can do the next step. And the next step is your mom and dad are going to come, but they're going to leave at some moments and then we give them jobs. Can you go and get some wood? And they go for 10 minutes at the beginning. They go and they come back. And then they stay for another hour and they go to get water and they come back. See, for, the, for a few mm-hmm. sessions, they're coming and going. And then the next session is your mom and dad is staying in the forest, but he's going to stay in, not in our outside. You see that tree is going to be behind and then the child can go over oh, here. And mm-hmm. it started like really progressively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But some children oh. need it. They say, yeah. But some children do. We have a child now that still, look at the time, we nearly March, and his dad still is coming to the forest, and he's three and a half. Mm-hmm. But his dad comes with him and says, I'm going, I'm coming back, you know I'm in this forest. If you shout very loud, I'll come, and he used to do it. But, mm-hmm. and he's, if he shouts very loud, the dad can hear him. Mm-hmm. But now it's happened at least for a month, he's not called him at all. So yeah. he's not gonna have to stay anymore. Yeah. Oh, I just think that would suit so many children so well. So many of the kids that we know would have benefited from that. And they're just, yeah, it's like a little, it's a different, whole different approach, isn't it? Um, and there's just nothing like that here. There's either a parent and toddler group, as Lewis is saying, where you go for an hour and a half, two hours, and that's what we offer once a week, or it's childcare. It's childcare so that parents can work. And there's nothing that I've ever heard of that is a substantial amount of time but it's a commitment from the parent to be there at the same time. Um, and the people would have kind of have the idea and pay though. for that would be, yeah, interesting. Well, that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say, that I think here is very much the view of like, if you're paying for childcare, then the, the, the view would be that you're going to go, the adult is going to go and use that time to, to be somewhere else, to do something else, to go and do some shifts at their job or to go and look after one of the, their other children at home or something. It would be, I think lots of people might look at it and go here and go, well, I'm supposed to pay, but I'm not supposed to, you know, this isn't for me, but I'm supposed to kind of, you know, I'll be, and that's, in, you know, it would be like saying, well, when your child starts school in September, you can't actually start working until October because you have to be available for that first month to go in and out. And it would be incredible. It would be so supportive. But I think here, people would really struggle with that idea of, you know, maybe being free and maybe not, maybe being available. Um, but do you... I'm here, right? Eh? Don't you think that, that you don't have to think that they all 
all families do that. Loads of families say, "How I can't do it. If a family says, okay, I can do adaptation for three weeks and I have to go then, then we speak to the child and we find a way. We say, look, mom, we have to find a way because we don't want the child to stay here crying or not. And then we, but it's not all the families. It's families that really decide to invest in this type of education, in this type of being beside the child. And we, but some families say, I can do it for two weeks or I can do it for three. Okay, let's see how we do it. And then we do a whole plan. We speak to the child and say, your mom needs this in three weeks' time. Let's see how we can do it progressively. And we tell them as things go, what else can we do to help you? Do you need to be by my hand all the time, for example? So we find the way so that this child is going to be okay. And another thing that we do sometimes is that then if this mom or dad can't stay, maybe they're very good friends with another mom or dad of the group. And maybe that mom can stay for a little bit longer for a child who is not their child. Mm-hmm. That's very lovely. When that mm-hmm. other mom says, okay, it's not my child, it's my neighbor, I will stay for another extra week. Mm-hmm. So we try as possible to do it, but it's in our school. It doesn't mean all the schools do that, not at all, because lots of people will say no. Mm-hmm. But when you come to our school, this is our conditions. Yeah. Yeah, that's really well, lovely. community feeling of uh, of raising children which is um yeah really lovely was was that right in thinking the way you described your your groups moving and and the one to uh, the naught to one one and a half year olds and things like that so do that will that whole group progress as a group or does one person move so if somebody turns uh two do they leave their group and join the other group or does the whole group move as one Usually the whole group moves one, except in, 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 for example, this year we will have to split a group, but we prefer not to because they, but I think sometimes it's okay for children, but at least we, we like that they, for two years, they're the same group, at least, because that creates a whole thing. But for example, this year we've got in the group three, three to six, we've got some three years olds that are right, that they're going to be four and a half and the six ones, they're going to jump into the next group but at least for two years they together at least at least two years they always together but the little ones that i told you we keep them the zero to one and a half they're all gonna go up and even though some little ones the same age will come we keep them and that's two years mm-hmm. and as well then the moms and dads know each other and when they have to do the adaptation for the three years olds sometimes one mom stays for three kids mm-hmm. and we don't have to have all the families doing the whole adaptation mm-hmm. yeah no. So they kind of shift among different parents. Mm. It's so lovely, isn't it? When you see parents that maybe didn't know each other at the beginning and they've met and bonded through being in the forest together. Um, and you just think, oh, you know, they're talking to each other and hanging out outside of our sessions and um, building a community. And I, I just find that lovely. It's one of the nicest parts of the job. And um, yeah, and maybe kind of connecting the adults with nature when they weren't necessarily expecting to do so. They're kind of there for their kid. And then actually they, um, they you know, gain a lot from it uh, themselves. Oh, thank you so much for speaking to us, Vicky. I think we've um, we've uh, taken a lot of your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I've sort of been, yeah, as I said, daydreaming in my head. And uh, in this current time where we can't even go really to another town down the road, I've just been transported to a beautiful chestnut forest on a mountainside in Spain and had a lovely <laughs> holiday for an hour. So thank you so much. 
Yeah, you're very welcome to come whenever you want to see oh, our project. It's a date. And there, already. So where can people, if people are listening, where can they find out more about your projects? Uh, in our webpage, mm-hmm. they can see our projects. At the moment, our pages is only in Catalan and Spanish, but it is being translated. We've got a lovely translator who is doing the work. He's English and he's doing all the translation. And it's www.pasdinfant.org. That's our webpage if anybody wants to know more. Oh, your projects sound so brilliant. I'd love to come. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, cheers. Thanks, Vicky. Bye-bye. If you like this podcast and want to support more episodes, you can donate through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the Forest School podcast.